do a specific, say, Father's Day or Mother's Day kind of sermon, but this year it's coming. All right, so if you got your Bibles, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, I want to just kind of remind us of a passage that for some of you who maybe have grown up going to church, you go, I know that passage. Well, I'm going to bring us some good reminder from it for us, for fathers. Uh, I want to also just remind us that these are the kind of days that also this always spread. Just like Mother's Day, the passage that we looked at, we got to see how all of us are called to be fearless. And the way that we become fearless is by trusting God. Well, today, um, these, this same principle really spreads to all of us. So this isn't just for fathers, but it is a challenge for us. It's sort of a funny thing, eh? Uh, I don't know if you guys noticed, but this year we made the list. I posted it on, on our Facebook page. But you know what? Portland and Auburn, Maine are top in the nation for, don't you? Being post-churched. We are the most post-churched area in the nation. Number one, we win. Isn't that great? So what does that mean? We've got a lot of work to do. We do. What it means is that there's lots of people, your neighbors, my neighbors, your friends, my friends, my family, your family, lots of people who grew up at some point having been connected to the church, having been connected at some point to Jesus and have walked away. They don't think that Jesus has answers for their lives. So that means that the vast majority of your friends, your co-workers, your family, a vast majority of them are saying there aren't any real answers. Now, I know that that's not true for you, and I know that it's not real, it's not true, that, they, that, that what they've tasted, what they've seen is not really Jesus. It's not really the gospel. It's not really it. But what, they, what they've experienced is what we would, you know, sometimes we'll just call it religion. It's where people follow really good rules, and then they get to the point where they go, I don't understand these rules. I don't see why these rules matter. These rules don't make me feel like I'm alive, so I would like to try something else. And, you know, that kind of also, I'm sure, translates over to why we have such high, high numbers in just, you know, again, being such a great outdoors kind of place, uh, having micro brews that make some of the best beers in the nation, uh, why we have some of the greatest food in the nation, why we have all these other things. Because if, if Jesus won't fill your life, then you've got to find something else that will. Family is another big one. All of these things are there. So I want to try and remind us why on a day like Father's Day, when our culture would say, and I know our culture has said it to you, and for you dads that are here today, I really want to express gratefulness. Because our culture says Father's Day is the one day where you should get to sleep in as late as you want, and then your kids should attempt to make you breakfast in bed. Or they should take you to some restaurant where you can eat actual good food you can eat if they're old enough to have money. Because uh, those two things are not the same, are they? Right? No, they're not. But, but the idea is that a dad should make this kind of his day. The only thing that might make it better for some people would be if it was during football season. You know, I mean, but that would be the only thing that could really kind of add to this. Instead, we give our kids maybe a wrong message. So I'm grateful that you're here. I'm grateful for you that you would say to your wife, to your family, to your kids, to, to your grown kids, come with me because the house of the Lord, that's where I want to be. I want to be with God's people. I want to be reminded who Jesus is. That's what my life is about. 
That's important. So let's take a look at this. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 is what we're going to look at here, okay? And um, I just want to point a couple things out to us. First, let's read this passage and we'll pray. Ephesians chapter 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well for you and that you may live long in the land. Then in verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us today. Uh, We really want to come into your word. We want to be able to live our lives in light of your truth. We want to be able to, to, uh, to, to live this out. We want to grow through this. So work in us, we pray. Help us. Holy Spirit, would you soften our hearts? Would you help us not to think, boy, I already know all this. There's nothing else that you could possibly uh, say. Instead, Lord, I pray that you would give us these teachable hearts that are ready to learn. Help us to listen to you. Help us to be encouraged by you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a few things that I just want us to see, some things that make lots of sense inside of the passage. Obviously, the book of Ephesians, it's really important for us to understand that back in chapter 5, verse 1, we're going to set this one principle. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The whole book of Ephesians is really based around the truth of the gospel, about what God has done for us. And that's what we've been singing this morning. That's what we read together today. That's why this is all of our life. We've got to go back to this. Christianity always goes back to the gospel. If you walk out of here on a Sunday and we have not reminded each other about the truth of what God has done for us, if Jesus doesn't take center stage, if you walk out of here and all you have is a list of what you need to do, then we've missed the boat. Instead, we need to go back. And Ephesians is the same way. We're going to be looking at a part which says, okay, because of what Jesus has done for us, this is the difference it makes in your life. This is the way it should change the way that you live. But we always have to go back in mind to that part of the gospel. It's a danger because we could walk away saying, okay, being a Christian is all about what I do and do not do. And that's not true. Okay? Remember, when we read the Bible, we remind each other all the time that the first thing I want to read is I want to find out who God is. I want to find out then what God has done. I want to then find out what does that mean about who I am in Christ. And then I want to also find out what am I supposed to do because of that. Okay? So it's this, this pattern that we're trying to build into our lives. Let's take a look at a couple of things. The first part here is about children obeying. So everybody who in here who is a child or everybody in here who has a parent, <laughs> what are we supposed to do? Obey. Why? Because it's right. All right. Do you guys hear that? All right. So if you've got a dad today, guess what? God wants you to obey. Now, how does that tie into the passage when Paul's looking at this, it means what? 
What are parents supposed to do? If kids are supposed to obey, what are parents supposed to do? Okay, this is where somebody, I, a couple mumbled it. I couldn't hear anybody specifically, so I could point at you. What are, what are parents supposed to do? Okay, they're supposed to discipline, because discipline is what? I heard somebody else say the other word. Teaching, right? What was it, Ivan? <laughs> Tough love, okay? So some of that is going to be some of the stuff that we really enjoy, the stuff that we really like when they teach, and some of it's supposed to be some of the things that maybe we don't really like when they teach. But a parent's key responsibility is what? To discipline, to disciple, to bring up kids, bring up their children, to bring up these young men and these young ladies to understand and know who Jesus is and let them help them walk out the kind of life that Jesus lived, to live it with freedom, to live it with joy. Parents, that's our calling. Children are called to obey here because parents are called to disciple, to disciple their children. That is the key. They're not tax deductions. Okay? And it's not worth it. <laughs> right? I mean, ask some of these parents who've had these kids in the house for a little bit longer than you have. Is it, are you really going to make out? Are you going to make money? No, you're not going to make money off of these kids. So let's have a better status. Let's have a better plan. I want to disciple my kids so they can be fully devoted followers of Jesus. And that is why those kids are in your house. Okay? He wants them to learn how to honor their father and mother. Why do they need to know how to honor their father and mother? Not just so that life will go well with them, even though that's what he says, but who should they learn to honor? They learn to honor God the way that they learn to honor you. So they need to experience love, but they also need to understand what it's like to relate to God. And their greatest picture of how they will relate to God, the most natural thing, will come through what? The way they relate with you. Okay? So let's get to the father part in this, because this is sort of interesting. He says all these things to children. Then verse 4 he says something that would surprise us in our culture in our day and age, doesn't he? Because what the first word in verse 4? Fathers. What would our culture say? Parents. Why does he turn to fathers instead of parents? What's that? I kind of hear something. I'm trying to pick it up. Yeah. God has given men, has given fathers a unique responsibility in leading the discipling effort in that household. Now, the reason I say that is culturally not stood for is because our culture today wants no separation whatsoever. Does this mean that moms don't have an impact? Absolutely not. Moms have tremendous, deep impact. These kids need you. But here's sort of the picture. One of the, uh, one of the commentators I saw kind of gave this sort of picture. If Jesus were to come to the door of your house because there was an issue, something he needed to talk about, he would come, he would knock on the door, and if Tracy were to come to the door, what would Jesus say? In a sense, he'd say, hey, I need to talk to Pastor Mark. I need to talk to Mark. Because there's something that we need to talk about. 
There is a unique responsibility, fathers, placed on your shoulders by God, by grace, and it's given to you. To be what? The lead disciple maker in your house. To be the one who is called to be maybe the, 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 the head teacher, the one who sits there and says, okay, my wife is fantastic. And I couldn't do life without her. I couldn't. But God also says, Mark, the first responsibility, the primary responsibility, the one who needs to really understand this the most is you. Because it's your responsibility. Fathers, do we accept that? doesn't matter where we've been or how we, how we look at the past. The question is now, is do we accept that? That he's going to bring this and say, instead of parents, because he was just talking to children, he's going to say fathers. Let's own that responsibility. So then what's he going to go on to? He's going to say this, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Why is he going to bring this up? As the lead disciple maker, there are going to be some times, like Ivan said, where there's going to be a little tough love that kind of goes into this situation. Do all of our kids love being discipled? Don't they? <laughs> I think that laugh says it all, right? Uh, don't our kids just love it? Don't they love the wisdom that you bring to them? Right, Jess? Don't, they, don't your boys just love it when you speak wisdom into their life and they just they go, oh, mom, you're so right, man. That, that's what we say at that age, right? No, Mom, I got it. I can do this. And, they, and they, they, ha- they have their things, right? But fathers are called to take the lead in discipling their children. And the danger here is that with the very best of parenting, we can give every effort to be as honest and as loving and as truthful but it is going to provoke some anger. Amen? Our little ones, those sweet little ones, those precious little learners that are in our house, the ones who just love to listen to us, right? And, and as, they, as they start out when they're, say, two, what does that anger look like? Yeah, a little bit of, you know, a little, little tantrum, a little thing. As they get older, what does that anger look like? can take lots of forms, can it? The anger can be more destructive the older they get. The things that they can do. We want us to understand, we want our children to know that there's authority and there's truth and there's holiness. But what God, through the Holy Spirit, is saying through Paul here in this passage, again, the very words of God here, inspired truth. God is saying, dads, you are going to need to be careful not to provoke anger in your kids. You're going to have to be careful not to do things that will stir up anger. Now, I think immediately what happens with us 
is we kind of go, okay, yeah, and we've probably heard these types of sermons. All right, so I should do those things that avoid me getting angry, me yelling at these kids, me talking down to these kids. And we've all heard the horrible things that some people have been told by their fathers. We've been touched by their stories. And I think automatically we sit there and say, yeah. So the key point of this passage, the key part of this sermon, is that I should become just mellow. And I should just be loving to my kids and that I should do that, and, and that that's, that's the key part, if I just don't set them off. But what I want to do is I want to challenge that. That's why we read verse five, chapter 5, verse 1, because that really sets the context for this. The context here, dads, is not just don't get angry so that your kids get hurt. The context is actually deeper. Modify this part about not creating anger, not stirring up anger, not provoking anger in our children with that phrase in chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God. Therefore, be imitators of God. Now let's think about that for a second, because if we're supposed to be imitators of God, if that sets the precedent for this, what has God ever done that deserves to make us angry? There's a very clear, definitive answer for this. Nothing. Let me say that again. What has God ever done that deserves to stir up anger in us? Nothing. And that is the whole answer. I know we talk a lot about it in our society. I know we talk a lot about it, that people are angry with God, and it's okay to be angry with God. But let me just kind of challenge that real quickly and say to you, no, it is not right, it is not holy, it is not just to be angry with a perfect, loving God. Where does that anger come from? It is my sinful response to a perfect God. It is my sinful, arrogant, want-to-be-God kind of attitude that is stirring that up inside of me, that's sitting there saying, I know better than you know, God. I could do this better. Now, that's not what it feels like. What it feels like is that I'm justified. But let me just say to you, we never have the right to be angry with God, but we do it. And when we find that we are angry with God, when we find that we are mad, we find out that we hate what He is doing, what do we need to do? We need to repent. Right? I mean, that, that's what's great about being a Christian is we get to repent. When we find out that we're in the wrong place, we get to repent of it. We get to go back to trusting God. God has never done anything to us to stir that anger. So here's kind of what's interesting. Again, back towards those fathers in, verse, in chapter 6, verse 4. 
God has never done anything to stir up anger in us. There's nothing that God needs to stop doing. So as fathers look at this, we go, okay, yeah, what are the things that I need to stop doing? But the passage has so much more in it. What has God done to win us back from that anger? What lengths has God gone to to win us back? He sacrificed His Son. He came to us. He works proactively to remove our anger. God works proactively. So if a dad is reading this, and a dad looks at this, with this modifier in place... What is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 also saying? Dads, don't just get angry and thus provoke your children to anger. Instead, what he's saying is take the same role that you have seen in God. Be the one that wins. Be the one that goes after. Be the one that stirs up. Be the one that reaches out. So if there comes this point of conflict, whose responsibility is it going to be first inside that house to try and settle that anger? The father. A father goes. A father goes to his son, whether that son is 2 or 12 or has a 12-year-old of his own. A father goes. A father looks for ways to be able to stir up joy in their heart so that that child will want to grow up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. A father loves. In fact, actually I stuck an article on our Facebook that I thought was really fantastic. I encourage you to just take a couple minutes to read it. it's something that uh, one of the pastors put on from Desiring God, but he, said it, he started out this way. He said, read the Bible, pray, repeat. Go to church, talk to God along the way, repeat. Sow the seed, pray for fruit, trust the Lord, wait, repeat, 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 repeat. And then he goes on to tell the story of one of the great missionaries of our generation, John Patton. But he doesn't really tell his story. He tells the story of his father, James. Now, John Patton is known. If you don't know John, I encourage you to read because he um, really brought the gospel. Uh, he was saved at, at 17, um, but he brought the gospel uh, to our world. And there's uh, Vanatu is now the name of the country, is 94% Christians. And they have the largest uh, denomination being Presbyterian. And that's all the fruit of John Patton's labor. So John Patton. But his father. His father's role was one that was interesting because you don't know his father. And and, uh, if you read through the biography, though, of his life, there were just these four things that, that, or, or three or four things that his father did. The first one was as John grew up, his father, James, his life revolved around reading the Bible and praying. And they had a little closet like so many people did back then. 
And that closet was sort of like the guest room if somebody showed up. It was a small enough just to fit one little bed. And the father would go into that room, and those kids knew that he was reading the Bible and that he was praying day in and day out. In fact, the quote is, um, we children got to understand by a sort of spiritual instinct that prayers were being poured out there for us as of old by the high priest within the veil in the most holy place. The second thing that I just thought was interesting was that John Patton, um, his father James, they would go to church. They would be in gathered worship. It was a four-mile walk each way. But they did not miss. In fact, John Patton can look at his life and he can name the three times that they did not go to church. One was because there was a cholera outbreak. Uh, and there were, there were two other things that were kind of similar to that. But there were these things where they sat there and said, oh, once was because of snow and once was because of ice. So there were three times that they did not gather for worship. You know, my parents weren't perfect, but I can actually name to you the few times, literally, I think it was less than this, I think it was two, that we did not attend gathered worship. I'm grateful for the way that my dad even when we were you know you hated it because we'd be driving to florida you'd be stopping somewhere in some campground and that next morning was sunday and you knew that you were going to go to sunday school and you were going to go to church and i didn't know anybody else when i was going in there so i was not the happiest kid about this there was some anger that was stirred up inside there thankfully i was really quiet in that anger so it you know it didn't show a whole lot but i did not want to be there but i can tell you this that priority massively clear you know that idea of of making corporate worship a highlight and then the the fourth thing that he did so prayer the word making corporate you know worship a highlight and then he would teach their children he would sit with them they would read the bible together he would teach them he would catechize you know what that you know what that means those biblical questions that frame a deep understanding of God's Word. And they would teach these things back and forth so that he could ask, what is this? You know, what is the true meaning of, of man? What was man made for? And they would have those kind of answers. I just thought that was encouraging, and I want to encourage you to read it. Dads, our job is not just to be not angry. Our job, our calling, according to this passage, is to be the first one, to be the lead one who brings up our children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. That means we take the lead. So it's not just avoiding those things, but like God does. It means that we proactively work to stir up joy, to stir up life. To, to point our kids to Jesus, how are we going to do that? Well, if we try and sell it or try to make it something that it's not, if we try to make it that being in church every Sunday is really lots of fun, okay, how long will our kids really believe that? They're not that gullible, okay? None of us really sits there and goes, wow, listening to Mark preach for 40 minutes, that's really fun. Nobody says that, Okay. That's not what's happening. I'm not stupid. Where does it come from? It comes from the point where we sit there and say, this is important. This reminds me of where I find my joy. I need this. 
Just as much as going to the dentist may not be fun, but we need these things. Going to the gym may not be fun, but we need these kinds of things, right? I get to pick on Scott at least once a week, so and I know he can, he can put up with it, so we, we, we do well with that. How do we do this? Let me just remind you this. This is the foundation. This is why we need to re- remind ourselves, because in Ephesians, what Paul does is he goes through, in chapter 1, this beautiful picture of everything that God has done for us in Jesus. We've obtained an inheritance. We, we find out that we have redemption. We find out that we've been forgiven of our sins. We find out that the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, we find out that's the core of what the book is about. The rest of it is how do you live that out? Same thing here. So here's the bottom line, dads. You know what? We've got to be men who understand what it's like to really receive forgiveness from God. We've got to let God take all of our failures and all of our anger because of the way that He has loved and forgiven us. We've got to let I don't know, call it the smile of God in the face of Christ. Melt away that, that numbness, that, I don't know, emotionlessness, that low-grade anger that's just kind of settled in there for us. We've got to let the healing that Jesus brings to us, the love that we sang about this morning, as fathers, as men, we can't just look and say, boy, the way my dad taught me was with a steel rod, and look at the character it forced out of me. What we need is men who love what Jesus has done for them, and let's that begin to rearrange the furniture of our souls That's how we will not provoke our children to anger. Instead, we've got to let anger be put away from us. Instead, we've got to let, we've got to be kind to one another, right? Tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave us. Guys, God forgave you. God, as your Father, has been kind to you. God is tender-hearted to you. And it's all because of Jesus. And the more that we experience that, the more that that becomes reality in our souls, the more that we spend time in God's Word, the more that we pray, the more that I'm reminded of that when we meet together, the more that I have to help explain that to others, the deeper that needs to go into my life. Because the more that that happens inside of me, what happens? I've got reserves to overflow. I can actually begin to give to my kids that same kind of tenderheartedness. I can give to my kids that ability to forgive. I can put away anger. And my kids will see that. 
and they'll experience the way that I relate to God. And when they see real, soft, transformed, humble dads, you think that will drive them away from Jesus? No. We want to see, isn't it? That's what we want to experience. Does that mean they will not be angry? No, they'll be angry. They will. Why? Because they have sin natures of their own. And that sin nature is in opposition to God. And you stand for God. But when they experience the way that you can humbly love them, when they experience that you do not reject them or burn them down, that you do not destroy them, but they instead find out that you stand for truth in a loving way, when they experience that you continue to love them even though they are at complete odds with you, that will win. That's what discipleship looks like. That frees them up to live. So I love this little statement. Here's something that John Piper said about this. He said, before God commands us to love this way, He loves us. He forgives all of our failures to love. Before He commands us to love this way, He does. And the gospel is so important for our understanding of this passage. God's not just saying... You will earn my love, Dad, if you don't provoke your kids to anger and if your kids turn out really well so that they seem like they really grew up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. That's how you earn my love. That's what we sometimes think, but that is not what God says. What God says is, you already have my love. By the sacrifice and the obedience of Jesus through faith alone, you could not be more loved, more accepted when you have turned, when you have raised a fist in my face. I love you. And the more that that settles into us, the deeper that goes, the better prepared we'll be. So here's my questions, dads. Number one, if you had to really kind of measure it, and I don't know, I'm trying to think of what scale. I don't want to do a school scale because school scales, that school's not really a guy thing. Let's just be honest about it, A, B, C, D. Okay, so, so let's go like with, with like a you know, one to five kind of scale, five being totally and one being almost not at all. How much do you really, really believe this morning? that God loves you and is completely satisfied with you today. That's what I would hope. But I have a feeling that there's some who are here today and they sit there and say, I know that theology. I understand. I could teach that. I can give you verses on that. But last week, when I didn't complete this at work, or last week, when I lost my anger with my child or last week 
when I, you fill in your blank. I pretty much felt like God said, you know what? I got better kids somewhere else. You're on your own. If you feel that way, I want to tell you lovingly that you're wrong. We need to listen to what the gospel says. If that answer is not a true, wholehearted five, then I want to encourage us to be in the Word, to be in prayer, to treasure times together, to teach and be taught. Ask God, God, would you help me to really see how you think of me? God, could you cause that to go deep? Deeper than it's ever been before. God, I'm not afraid of what that process looks like. Because I would rather have you than anything. There's nothing more I was made for. That prayer is open for any of you. If you're in 8th grade... Or if you are 80. So this isn't just a father thing. Do you see how God intends this to work and he shows us how it's supposed to work for fathers? But do you see how it's not really all that different? In fact, Paul goes through and says, okay, slaves, here's how you do it. Husbands, here's how you need to love your wife. Wives, here's how you need to treat your husbands. And he he shows that there's lots of applications. That's what this part of the book is about. To try and help us to be people who really embrace the gospel. If there's anything I can help you with, I'd love to do it. Let me pray for us. Father, we really want to be people who are so full of all that you've given to us and all that you've done for us. We want to be people that are so full of this, that are so full that it overflows and that it's able to then begin to spill onto the people that are around us. We want to be able to come to this fountain of love and we want to dip our cup in there and we want to drink long and deep and often so that we become satisfied and that we can then take that cup, that freedom, that love to those that are around us, whether they treat us with love or not. Father, we don't want to be religious people who just know the right answers, Jesus. We want to be people who are deeply in love with you. Could you work with us? Thankfully, we know that you do. And we believe it. So we say a hearty thank you now. We just ask you to create in us what you command. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.